1: everybody to Light. So glad you could join me today because I've got a really, really super guest with me. Uh, first though, I do want to thank uh, Ken Quiethawk for his introduction. Please check him out on the internet. He's a native storyteller and he and his wife have been preserving a way of, of sharing history and cosmology through, through and over time that, that is not used today. And a much better way of uh, of sharing history with generations that that will carry it forward because they do it through story instead of a book. Of course, books now are almost uh, antiques, horribly so, but um, so my my guest today is Paul Lavoivette. He is the president of the Starburst Foundation and Interdisciplinary Research Institute and holds advanced degrees in system science and physics. He's the author of Genesis of the Cosmos, Subquantum Kinetics, and the book we're going to be talking about, at least starting with tonight, Earth Under Fire, Humanity's Survival of the Ice Age. Um, Many ancient myths from around the world tell of catastrophic destruction by fire and flood. These ubiquitous legends are so extreme that they're often dismissed as imaginative exaggerations. In his book, Paul connects these myths to recent scientific findings in astronomy, geology, and archaeology to reconstruct the details of prehistoric global disasters and to explain how similar tragedies could occur in the near future. Compelled by his description decryption of an ancient warning hidden in Zodiac constellation lore. He worked with information from many scientific sources, including astronomical observations, polar ice core measurements, and other geological data to confirm that our galaxy's core exploded near the end of the last ice age. This explosion unleashed a barrage of cosmic rays and enveloped the solar system in a dense nebula which led to periods of persistent darkness, frigid colds, severe solar storms, searing heat, and mountainous floods that plagued mankind for many generations. Linking his scientific findings to details preserved in the myths and momentous and moments of ancient civilization, he demonstrates how past civilizations accurately recorded the causes of these cataclysmic events knowledge of which may be criti- crucial for the human race to survive the next catastrophe, superwave cycle. This information reveals the intelligence and integrity of our ancestors who, when faced with extinction, found the means to warn us that the apocalypse that destroyed them could occur once more. You're going to find his book, Once More It Is, Earth Under Fire, Humanity's Survival of the Ice Age, um, Enlightening, um, inspirational, thought-provoking, and um, really something that, that all of us really should pay attention to because there's great validity in it, and you don't need to, to believe all of it, but be inspired by some of it anyhow. You can find his website at www.etheric.com. Welcome to the show, Paul. I'm so glad you're here.
2: Hello, Barbara. I really liked your introduction the
1: uh, oh well, thank you i you know your book was so amazing i just i found myself going well of course, that's logical that's you know, oh my gosh, why has no one else ever made these connections? You not only made the connections you verified them scientifically, which I think is fascinating but what started you on this? What inspired you to do this kind of a journey, this kind of a, an investigation or a searching for purpose and cause, so to speak?
2: Uh, well, I deciphered a message that was uh, encoded in Star Lore. And uh, I was at the time a doctoral student at Portland State University, and at that time, I was planning to work on a new physics theory I had developed called subquantum kinetics, which uh, makes a major revision of uh, all aspects of physics and so far has had 14 of its uh, predictions confirmed, uh, whereas Einstein had only four predictions confirmed. Uh, and at that time, it was in the early stages of developing that theory. And I thought that was going to be my topic for my dissertation. And uh, as I was working on this, it, it got me into astronomy, because uh, the theory, the physics theory was predicting stuff in astronomy and cosmology. So I had all these books I was checking out of the library on astronomy and so on. And I also had an interest in uh, stellar mythology at the time. Uh, While this was going on, I had discovered that um, the physics I was working on was encoded in astrology, in the zodiac, um, metaphorically. In other words, each of the 12 zodiac signs expresses a principle of nature, you could think. Um, And uh, together they explain how matter came into being. And this is totally different from standard physics. Uh, uh, The Big Bang Theory has been disproved. I disproved it in 1986 in a paper I wrote. And many other people have written papers showing uh, that the, the expanding universe concept is incorrect. So the question is now that well, the, the thing is that astronomers keep going forward as ignoring those facts and keep teaching the Big Bang Theory as if nothing ever happened. Uh, because if the Big Bang Theory fell, uh, it would be a major crisis for astronomy because what do you replace it with? How was the universe then created? Uh, and uh, the... the cosmology uh, presented in my theory, sub-quantum kinetics, is that uh, the universe is continuously created. Uh, there it, uh, was not a single explosion in the past, but an emergence, almost like uh, more of a similar to uh, nature of uh, seeds uh, uh, forming matter, creating more matter. Seeds coming out in space, and uh, like uh, fluctuations of the zero point, spawning particles like neutrons, which form protons and electrons spontaneously in space in a distributed fashion. And in fact, I have a video that's on my website uh, on etheric.com called uh, "Parthenogenesis." Uh, um, uh, and it's, uh, it describes this whole evolution of the universe from this perspective. So uh, as I was uh, doing this, I found that the uh, concepts were encoded in, uh, in the zodiac, which, uh, you know, that statement itself is it, uh, mind-blowing. It showed yeah. to me that the physics that I had discovered, which was based on systems theory, um, new findings that were coming out in chemical reaction systems that produce order. This is, uh, at one point I called this the alchemic ether theory uh, because it's more similar to the ancient Chinese concept of the qi that transmutes from yin to yang. These are important concepts in it, but they're completely scientifically based. Uh, It's a complete uh, different approach to physics, but, um, uh I had uh, also found it, for example, encoded in the tarot. And uh, uh, so uh, this meant was that I wasn't the first to develop that. But here we are in the 20, 20th, 21st century. This was in 20th. Uh, this all happened in 19... 19- Oh, between 77, uh, I, I first got the, the idea in 73. 77, I started developing it in the doctoral program, 76, 77. And uh, um, at that time, I, I realized, w- w- you know, this was so such an important physics that they took the trouble to encode it, not only in the tarot, in uh, the zodiac, astrolog- astrological zodiac, Uh, But in uh, some of the major creation myths, like the uh, story of Atum, Egyptian, ancient Egyptian story, Uh, also the story of Osiris, uh, the story of uh, Babylonian creation epic, the story of Zeus, the ancient Greek story. So all your major Mm -hmm. creation myths symbolically encode these concepts, And uh, they were trying to, it was was sort of like trying to pass it down uh, through the generations. In other words, they put these ideas, which are very technical, I mean, uh, they wouldn't have had any chance of being passed down if they had some technical book that they were asking everyone to read every generation. Instead, they put it in the form of myths and lores uh stories about the stars um fortune telling cards uh where people would learn to tell fortunes you know but the principles actually were secretly encoding this physics and this was their way of being able to pass the lore from one generation to another because the and the myths about what had happened in the past the catastrophes of the past uh... were passed this way so uh, w- what i'd found is uh... here here i was attracted to the star lore of the of astrology because i'd seen it was coded but not just encoded uh... was encoded in a special way it was designed as a anti cryptogram now let me explain what that means With a cryptogram, you have a coded message where you have the key and you don't give the key out. You keep it secret. Uh, And only the person you tend to receive it, like your other military force or whatever, has the key to decipher it. Uh, In an anti-cryptogram, you give the key with the uh, cryptogram so the person receiving it can decode it. And that's used in uh, extraterrestrial communication, for example. We did that with the Pioneer 10 uh, space capsule uh, message. Um, uh, And it uh, was uh, the same principles, anti-cryptography is called, Mm -hmm. I found in the Zodiac. Uh, You have the key. In this case, the key is there's two keys. Uh, The tarot is one key because that gives the correct order of the principles of the concepts. The other key is the Sphinx. So here you get into the whole idea, what is the riddle of the Sphinx that we've heard about? Well, the riddle is, uh, take me and solve my puzzle because the puzzle is the Zodiac. The mystery is, what is the secret the Zodiac encodes? And that's what I was captured by. You know, it's sort of like finding this incredible thing. It's sort of like discovering an artifact that nobody else has found. I was the first to find it. Here I'm a student, a Ph.D. student in Portland, Oregon. And, uh, you know, it's the kind of stuff you tell your friends. You go to the local uh, coffee shop there, Galleria or wherever, and, I'm filling them in on the latest discoveries. <laughs> <You> know, <clears throat> it was really an exhilarating uh, time for me, all these discoveries, one after another. It was, I mean, it was like compressing decades of work into a few years, the way it seemed to me. I was. Going, uh, it took me a whole seven years to get my degree, by the way. Working just four years on my dissertation, most people do in two years, but I
1: was
2: (laughs) more focused on this important discovery. And uh, the the thing that really got me into the superwave concept was I noticed that in this zodiac message, which is an anti cryptogram, and Uh, When you decipher the cryptogram, you reorder the signs, okay? And when you've reordered the zodiac signs into a new order, uh, their polarities and qualities create a new pattern. And that's the idea of opening a safe, you know, is if you get a click. And that's the indication that you got it right, you know, and you can figure – the chances are one in so many billion billions that it was due to chance to be that way. Uh, so it then means you got the message, you know. And, and then you see, okay, it's accurately encoding this physics. And right where the, it's the idea of matter and energy spontaneously emerging, And right at the point where it begins to emerge, in that Scorpio and Sagittarius principles right there is where you have the breakthrough into physical form of matter and energy. And it can be even explosive in some cases, like what happens in the centers of galaxies. Mm -hmm. Um, Right there, my attention was taken to a myth, an ancient Greek myth of uh, Scorpio shooting uh, or, excuse me, the archer, Sagittarius, shooting his arrow at the heart of the scorpion. He's taking aim to shoot his arrow. And uh, the heart of the scorpion is Antares. And the arrow in Sagittarius is marked in the constellation. There's an actual arrow there, has a tip of an arrow yeah. star. So I said, What the heck? Well, what I first noticed was, hey, Here's Scorpio with his stinger pointing upwards, and Sagittarius with his arrow, and they're pointing at something. And I, I was looking on the map, and here I was looking that here's the center of the galaxy. I said, "This is amazing." Mm-hmm. Uh, but by the way, is my coming through clear? Because I hear a little static.
1: Um, I, it almost sounds um, like you're too close to the to the microphone.
2: Okay, I'll, is that maybe better? Uh, yeah put it put it out there okay so uh like i was saying um so here uh what i did and let me put it maybe up more here okay so i plotted uh, the trajectory of the arrow you know at this point i'm saying hey this is very interesting you know because I noted the arrow wasn't pointing at the heart of the scorpion. It was off. And, but I noticed that these stars, they move over time. You know, nothing is still in the heavens. And I started studying astrometry, it's called. It's how stars move. You know, they move at certain rates. And the sky, each star, has its own direction of movement and rate. So I regressed all the stars in those constellations back in time And I found that the arrow, Sagittarius arrow indicator, progressively rose and rose until he was aimed at the heart of the scorpion. And that occurred on a specific date. And that date was 15,870 years ago. And I was wondering, hey, this is interesting. They're marking a date. And here's the idea of energy and matter explosively coming into being. And I, I thought, could they have been talking about a galactic core explosion, trying to let us know that the core of our galaxy had exploded at that time? Uh, and uh, this is, we see these going on in other galaxies. But now remember, I was doing this back in the uh, 70s. <clears throat> 1978, I did, was making this discovery. <laughs> and uh, very little was known about core explosions. Uh, at that time, they still thought quasars were uh, star-like objects in space. Later with the Hubble telescope, they found you know that they're galaxies whose cores have become so bright, they, they mask the whole galaxy. In other words, there are extreme cases of galactic core explosions. So, I have a
1: question. Yeah. I have a question. You <clears throat> you talk about a core explosion and and the center of our galaxy has always been the same center. So hmm. does it does it regenerate so that it explodes again and again over I don't know well, millions of years? Uh,
2: it it doesn't fragment. Uh, let's say maybe explosion is not the best, but that's what the word is used for it. Uh, kind
1: of like a sunspot?
2: So Think of it as okay. active core state. Yeah. Okay, uh, so it's like, the,
1: it's, like, it's like sunspots where they, they every now and then send out, you know, um, eruptions of sorts?
2: Think of a flare of the sun, yeah. Okay. Except in this case the whole star flares. Now remember, I don't say black hole. I'm referring to this as a star. It's a mother star. It's what gives birth to our galaxy. 99% of the matter that's in our galaxy uh, the stars and so on came from expulsions from the center of our galaxy. And slowly they're, they're discovering this to be the case. Uh, and It's uh, totally is mind-boggling for physicists. They can't understand how uh, this happens that these, these uh, active cores, is a better way to put it. In other words, they jump, their intensity jumps from, let's say, what ours is putting out, which is what they call quiescent state, it's, uh, the, uh, it's before an outburst. When it goes okay. to the outburst, it can go up a million times in uh, luminosity and, and even more in some cases. And this can happen... Just like that in the flash of a. Uh, it's just like a gamma ray flash. You know, suddenly in the microseconds it'll be at one point and then go. And we've seen this happen in other galaxies where uh, the core output was looked like a quiescent galaxy and suddenly uh, puts out this gamma ray flash, but the thing does not subside. It keeps going. And for three days it's going really gangbusters and then it comes down. Uh, about a few orders of magnitude, but it's still uh, really putting out the energy and, you know, it's what you would call a Seifert or almost quasar-like state. Um, and uh, that so, would have been so the case of, yeah.
1: Yeah, so, so that creates a super wave.
2: Exactly. Uh, and, and I eventually came to form the idea of a super wave, and I'll explain what triggered those concepts because, they involved not only stellar mythology, which I'll talk about uh, how that was encoded, but also extraterrestrial communication. I deciphered a message being sent to us It was encoded in uh, what's, what are called pulsars. Uh, okay. And I'll get into that in a, in a bit. Uh, but let me say... Uh, that the core of the galaxy physicists will call it a black hole but it's not and if you go to my website I have uh, one uh, uh, one or two uh, postings where this is at where I show that um, the uh, from measurements they've taken the uh, there's energy coming out of the core of, of our galaxy and it's outside what they call the uh, event horizon. And there's no way that could be unless, because with a black hole, you're not supposed to see any energy, you see. Right. And it's supposed to be black, but they're not seeing black. They're seeing this huge amount of energy there. And they try to uh, uh, sort of explain it away, saying, oh, well, this is this uh, energy is... Uh, Stuff that's just outside the core, you know, on the horizon, outside the horizon. Well, if that's the case, and this is the thing that kills it, uh, how come it's not moving? Because the core, they've seen everything's whipping around there really fast around that core. And uh, and this isn't moving. So that means this is not outside the core. It's from inside the core. And for a simple uh uh, putting two and two together, and I've done this on this posting, you see that uh, uh, this is a, not a black hole, but a uh, mother star. Uh, I estimate the diameter, even. Uh, the diameter, I estimate, plus or minus, is around half of the diameter of Mercury's orbit. So I don't know, what is that? The, Big. or Forty times the, the diameter of the sun, or something—I forget. But um, <clears throat> and uh, it's not—you uh, know—it's—it's uh, it's density. It's much more dense than our sun. It's about four hundred times the density of the sun, but not nearly as dense as a white dwarf. Some white dwarfs are even more dense, and uh, certainly not as dense as a neutron star. And, in fact, there's some astronomers that question whether neutron stars even exist. Uh, but here you have, a and the reason why a black hole doesn't form is because it's producing so much darn energy inside it. It's not able to collapse. You see, the standard theory says, uh, assumes that we live in a zero-sum game, that the universe is whatever, you know, the law of energy conservation to get, energy out you have to burn something over here you know um,
0: mm-hmm.
2: whereas this new physics i was developing it confirms the whole idea of free energy in fact it's it states that our whole galaxy is in an energy creating environment in other words if you take a photon and you hang around with it long enough follow follow it wherever it's going long enough, its energy is slowly increasing. And if you sum up all the photons in the sun, for example, you'll find that uh, 13% of the sun's energy is produced by this blue shifting of photons. It's like putting money in the bank and you get interest out. So it's not a zero-sum game. It's an energy-generating environment. So
1: so this This created the super wave, and what happens when the super wave hits,
0: you know? Well, how did I get
2: from – because originally I I was saying, okay, I discovered a core explosion or something, and I was still thinking, okay, well, this is out there, you know, 23,000 light years from us. Right. Uh, I didn't have any idea this would reach us, and then – I was toying, I was getting into the pulsars and everything. And I realized that some of the most amazingly intense pulsars and the most unusual in the sky—in other words, they're like the, the mother and father of pulsars, you might call them—mark the two closest supernova remnants to Earth. You know, why would they be marking here? You know, why not anywhere else? You see what I mean? And uh, so I started studying this. One is the Vela remnant, which is about, I don't know, 700 light years from us, very close. And the other is the Crab Nebula, which is about uh, uh, 6,000 light years, but towards the galactic center, anti-center, in a direction away from the galactic center. And I realized that the dates... That these supernovae exploded coincided with a wave coming from the center of the galaxy as if that wave triggered first the Vela star to explode and then con- continued on for another 6,000 years uh, at the speed of light and triggered the Crab Nebula explosion. And... Uh, this is what opened my eyes to this whole thing—that we're dealing with a wave of energy coming from the center of the galaxy. Uh, plus, it's um, it's encoded in mythology. Uh, this arrow—there's two arrows in the zodiac constellations. One is um, the Sagittarius arrow we talked about, shooting at the heart mm-hmm. of the Scorpion. The other is Sagitta. It's the arrow. It's called the arrow. And it's uh, along the galactic plane, but uh, at a distance of around or an angular displacement from the center. From our perspective, if we're looking at the center of the galaxy and we put our compass there at zero degrees and we measure angle along the galactic equator, okay, that's the Milky Way's equator, which we see in the sky, we find here at around point. Three degrees. This uh, um, this arrow constellation, where the tip is the closest constellation star to that key angle. Why is that angle so key? Because it's the one radian point of the galaxy. So they're showing us the ancient uh, star constellation cartographers, or whatever you want to call them. I mean they. They uh, were using the heavens like artists. They were putting science out in the heavens, basically, Uh for posterity. Um, And uh, they were using the geometrical concept of the radian, where if you take a circle and you take the radius of the circle and you measure it out along the circumference, you probably have heard this in your geometry class in high school, you measure how long the circumference, that radius, and you'll get an angle of 57.295 degrees. That's called one radian. So here they were marking with another arrow, which seemed to be flying away from the galactic center at that point. And what that meant was, symbolically, is now you take that, at radius and you find you instead of stretching it out hor- horizontally along the uh, the circumference of your circle you bring it as a radius from the center of the galaxy to you and you find that's marking the distance that arrow travels to earth so that arrow is really uh, being shot at us so okay. that's a real wake up call and that's what uh, led me to form the super wave theory. And at that point, I said, I've stumbled on the biggest discovery of the uh, 20th century. Back then it was 20th century. Yeah. <laughs> and I had to communicate this. This is uh, incredibly important. And uh, so I changed my dissertation topic from my physics theory. I changed it to that. I, I continued work on the physics theory, but... Um, For the dissertation, it ended up being on that topic.
1: Okay. The question uh, hanging, the question hanging in everybody's mind right now is: so when the super wave hits us, what what happens? Yeah. Yeah.
2: All hell breaks loose. Uh, It depends (laughs) on the intensity. Uh, Okay. Now we've had to to be uh, to calm people. We've had. 14 small events in the last 6,000 years which uh, you can you can see them by these little puff outbursts from the core these are astronomical observations Um, and you find them in the geologic record and uh, the prediction my predictions of this were in my thesis and later they discovered in uh, ice core record for example these Cosmic ray bursts, which lasted for a year or two, and they couldn't explain what would cause them. Well, they're small superwave volleys. Uh, but the real heavy stuff occurred during the Ice Age, and these events are what trigger creation of Ice Ages and termination of Ice Ages. And they don't do it alone, they work. It's a complicated uh, series of events. It's uh, it's not as simple as asteroid theory. Asteroid are very simple-minded theories that they propose, where the Earth gets hit by a comet and you have a big explosion and it creates thermal wave. You know, that's very simple to understand, and it doesn't take much uh, to put it together. This uh, requires... Um, is a... A whole chain of events that occur when a superwave arrives. What is it? It's a a blast of cosmic ray electrons and protons initially, uh, along with electromagnetic radiation um, that uh, suddenly arrive without warning. Because remember, this is traveling the speed of light, so you don't see it coming until it's arrived. And when it arrives. Uh, it starts uh, pushing cosmic dust into the solar system from its pressure. Uh, more severe things can happen, uh, like for example, the, uh, the high energy, I guess somebody's calling me, I hear a beep, but I, I'll just ignore it. Uh, the more uh, high energy cosmic rays, electrons and protons, uh, will break through the iliopause sheath, which is our protective and magnetic field, and start striking the sun, and will start acting as like a wind on the sun. And they're bringing with them a hydrogen wind. So it's cosmic rays with a hydrogen wind are hitting the sun and creating what I call the dragon mode effect, And that's where the solar plasma, the outer corona of the sun, gets blown away from the sun. And the sun becomes almost comet-like. In other words, it has a tail, which is due to the downstream, downwind part of this plasma that's being blown. And if the Earth happens to be in that tail, God help us, because we'll be fried. And it all depends where we are in our orbit when that hits. And uh, that this concept was told to me by pa- Padre Avondios at the Russian Orthodox Church in Milan, who's a uh, sensitive. He, he sees things. And uh-huh. he, he gave me an example about the catastrophe that could come. He took a, a candle flame, lit candle flame, and a, uh, ga- a gas benzene canister, and he started spraying the butane i guess butane and this stream of butane comes out hits the candle flame and creates this fiery torch uh from the flame it's going out like a flamethrower and it was a real uh impressive demonstration right there in his (laughs) office (laughs) Uh, and i i thought about it and then i realized why this would happen I've, do, I've done a posting on this uh, on etheric.com if you search dragon mode effect. And this may be where the concept of dragons comes from, where they say that they come from the air and they uh, incinerate the surface of the earth. So these things could have actually happened in the past.
1: Could this so, have been the cause of one of our mass destructions?
2: Um. Now, I don't know that, but I know that more likely the solar flares that occurred, and if you look at the sequence of events, this stuff brings cosmic dust into the solar system. The cosmic dust surrounds the sun, blankets the sun, makes a cocoon, the sun's energy can't get out as easily as it could. It starts heating up. You get a lot of infrared radiation from the sun, which alters the spectrum on the earth. The sun's spectrum becomes changed. But it also heats up the sun and makes it more active. And it starts flaring like like, uh, incredibly going. I don't want to use a, a bad expression here, but it's going <laughs> going to, uh, through the roof, okay, on its flaring. Okay. And we see this going on in other stars. We call them T-story stars. They're stars similar to the sun, mass similar to the sun, that are surrounded by dust. And the dust so aggravates them that they're continually putting out solar flares, So whereas we get flares maybe sunspot cycle, certain time of the sunspot cycle, when we're at high sunspot cycle, uh, period, every 11 years, uh, we would be getting it all continuously. And not only that, but you could have so so many flares that one could piggyback on the other, and you could get these mega flares coming towards us. And uh, I believe that one of these events, what killed the – me- the megafauna at the end of the ice age, around uh-huh. 13,000 years ago. Not only believe, I wrote a paper on this, I studied the ice core record, and I found the exact date. Uh, I can tell you the exact date here. I have it right here 12,837 years BP, before present, before 1950. So before now, it would be you add another. Seventy years, so about uh, twelve thousand uh, nine hundred years ago, around, um, and uh, and you see in the record, the geologic in the ice core record, you see this huge. Uh, Ionization spike. In other words, the air, the atmosphere became so ionized it produced the biggest ionization spike that we'd had for tens of thousands of years. And uh, at this time, uh, you see that there were some previous events. Oh, also, uh, the the carbon fourteen uh, in the atmosphere was going up gangbusters. Uh, it started going up uh, about. A, a hundred years earlier, 120 years earlier, when the earth was hit with uh, this dust invasion, which presumably was pushed in by the uh, cosmic rays. I, I know all this is a lot of facts, um, but things are not simple in nature. Um, when, this is something that we have no idea. We don't see these happening today. Uh, we are living in a uh, summer so to speak a uh, the Garden of Eden days uh, if it wasn't for the covid virus you know
1: <laughs> don't yes. g-
2: let me get started on that thats scam no, no. <laughs> you know I don't know if you I hope people aren't believing that that's uh, that happened by chance and uh, you know, the whole thing with the uh, the elite and uh, their interest to bring okay. the population down by a factor of ten and Make a one-world government well, and all that. Uh, these are not. Oh, I've
1: already speculated on that all over the place. <laughs> yeah, you
2: probably've had shows on that. So uh, they're, they're really Absolutely. messing things up for us. And it could be because we can get to the prophecies. There's a mystic called uh, uh, Peter Denov, Bulgarian mystic, who I found out from my wife. She's Bulgarian. That's how I found out about him. And he died in 1944, right before his death, just a day before while I was in his bed. He made this prediction about this cosmic catastrophe that would happen to Earth. And it was as if he would read my my thesis. You know, it was incredible. Everything was there about the cosmic rays and what they were going to do to the Earth. And uh, the date... Uh, that he told his some of his followers, and it's difficult to find on the internet. But uh, my wife tells me it it's 19, uh, 2029, 20, uh, 23 something, 2029. In uh, nine 2029. years is, is the date he gave, uh, and there's uh, other dates like you find from uh, people who've been in the classified world and are spilling some of the beans. They say we're going to start the the the. the the stuff hits the fan or starts to hit the fan around 2025. So we're going to start seeing the signs of some strange thing. Maybe we'll start seeing the galactic center becoming more active, let's say. Um, Now, it's very interesting that COVID was engineered right at this point, and they're trying to bring us in lockdown so they can control us, put chips in us or whatever some people are saying. Uh, It's almost like, they want us to be turned into robots so they can manage us before this catastrophe. So it makes me wonder, do they know this is going to be happening? Maybe they read my book and they, they realized it's correct. And, uh, there's some th- stories that circulate that we have a space program. We have interstellar ships, uh, yes,
0: know, we've yes,
2: discussed all this and oh, yeah. they they <laughs> went and checked out the concept, They. uh, took a ship in the direction of the galactic center and they found the horizon was coming towards us and they came back and told everyone we got a super wave coming uh, and they didn't release the date they, they keep that highly secret apparently there was one guy that, that released a date but he apparently didn't know the right date he was claiming 2017 it would hit which nothing really happened um, so you know we even have uh, remote viewers working on this. Uh, I'm in touch with a group of remote viewers, and they at least they cleared this year. This year is going to be okay. Uh, there's a lady in April, Elizabeth April, I don't know if you've heard, she has program. She ha- is in contact with the Galactic Federation, and uh, they are talking about a, a super wave coming. She didn't know what superwave I heard her lecture at the UFO conference in uh, Nevada in February, and uh, was, uh, apparently she didn't know about superwave, so I had to get in contact with her and sort of uh, inform her about the whole idea and so she can uh, ask certain questions of them, and I'm waiting to see what responses she gets back because i I and a lot of people would like to know when is this going to arrive, so we can get prepared, um, and not have yeah, see, it. See, I don't
1: see. Yeah. I I don't see it coming for quite a while, to tell you the truth. Uh
2: huh. Quite a while, in, in um, other words, decades. You're saying.
1: Yeah, more than decades. It, I it, hope you're right. It,
2: in my it book, I, to, uh, it, I, no, I. It feels a to me.
1: No, it feels to me as though it's 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 going. You know, we're going to get. Um, the forewarnings of it coming. We're going to have, you know, certainly seasonal upsets and things like that, and we're already having those. Uh-huh. But, but the the actual impact, I guess, is what I would call it. I I don't think it's going to be for quite a while.
2: I, I hope you're right and uh, Denov is wrong. <laughs> um, they also have the Fatima prophecy, and she was told. Yeah that it's going to occur within her lifetime. And she's now in her 70s or uh-huh. early 80s, I forget. Uh, not the Fatima Prophecy. The, uh, well, Fatima Prophecy was talking about this. I discussed that in the, in the last chapter of my book. Yeah. But there was also the, uh, the other one, the uh, Garabandal Prophecy uh-huh. and the apparition of Garabandal of the young girls, and they've now grown up. Some of them have passed away, but there's one who's still alive, and uh, as it was, she was told, she would be live to see it. So uh, it's very possible in her lifetime, you know, 2029 20, is a possibility. Uh, in my book, I say... Uh, to give a ballpark figure, I say we're overdue for one, that we expect one in the next 400 years so that people don't yep. completely panic. Um, and that's the way I arrive at that is because you look at the past events, you know, and the way you find those is you go in the ice core record. That's how I tested my hypothesis, one of the main tests. Of course, I gathered My my dissertation is 763 pages. It was... It had the uh, honor of being the longest dissertation in the history of the program.
0: Oh,
2: <laughs> in fact, they, they haul it out when somebody is uh, planning their dissertation <laughs> to scare these people, thinking that <laughs> they're going to expect them to put out something like this. Uh, and... Uh, and, I, and I'm still working on it. I mean, there's stuff I've discovered after the, I did the dissertation, after I wrote Earth Under Fire, and it's a, like an ongoing process. Um,
1: but you, see, you, see, you it seems that, that it's, it's fascinating that with every burst that hits us, there is a leap in consciousness of some sort.
2: Well, yeah, in fact, but, not only that, but it creates genetic mutation,
1: and that's talking right.
2: about Ray Stanford's version of the Fatima Prophecy, and he's probably getting his stuff uh, through E.T. contact. You know Ray Stanford? He yeah, a UFO of experience, And he wrote a book, amazing book, uh, The Fatima Prophecy, and everything he writes there that's from his, quote, source, which could be E.T., it's like he's talking about exactly the superwave uh, in great detail, and my uh, dissertation committee chairman, who's opened this kind of stuff, he was uh, away for a while down San Francisco, and he comes back with his book, he says, "You should read this <laughs> exactly <laughs> what you're saying <laughs> uh, and uh wait.
1: You've, you've tied all of this also to the progression of the equinoxes as well, which I found fascinating.
2: Yes. Uh, for example, they use the equinox. The, there's myths uh, in the equinox connected like yeah. the one with Virgo, for example. There's an example. Virgo is lying along the equinox, and uh, she there's a myth connected with her that... Uh, uh, Virgo connected, well, the Isis myth uh, that uh, a, a flood was brought on the earth. Um, and uh, if you look at when this might happen, you see that the uh, vernal equinox, when it goes from Virgo into Leo, um, Leo is the sun, Symbolized uh, Mm -hmm. astrologically, and a great heat on the earth. And uh, that's when you had the great flood, uh, one of the great floods, because we've had many. um, Yeah. uh, And it's not due to the shaking of the earth so much, or you've heard this in 2012, you know, and uh, the movie. (laughs) It's not that way. The way it happened was the earth's poles that were covered with ice you know of course more so than they are today they were the ice sheets they came down as far as ohio you know for example in north america um they covered all of alaska all, half of alaska was covered um and uh So when the sun put out its uh, solar flare blast, you see myths about how the earth was scorched and uh, burned trees and everything, dried up the rivers. You know the myth of Phaethon, an ancient Greek uh, story of Phaethon, which the priests told Solon, the the, uh, mayor of Athens, had gone to Egypt. And he was told this because... at SAIS, and um, uh, they told him that this myth is metaphorical. We're, we're, it's not just about a story for kids. And here we're talking about uh, cosmic events that happened to the earth. So he was informed of in this, but they didn't go further, you know, because they had a secrecy code. And just to let him know that this. so in other words – uh, the people are supposed to figure this out for themselves so they don't distort it. Distort the uh, it was, it's sacred knowledge, this whole thing. The myths are sacred. It's a way of uh, conveying important events into the future. And uh, it's not just in, in uh, ancient Greece, but you find the flood myth all over the world. I, I was going from library to library collecting Indian myths. The Indians uh-huh. did a credible job of handing down their tales about the flood. And uh, so what happens is that when the the solar flare, mega flare, hits the earth and is burning, is roasting the earth, uh, the uh, ice sheets start to melt, the upper surface of the ice sheets, and they form lakes. Now we see, now this was, I was saying this way back in uh, 1983, I published my dissertation, And only recently with satellite imagery have we seen lakes on the surface of the Greenland ice sheet. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's exactly saying what I was saying, but you would have lakes, incredible, you know, huge lakes and many, many, many lakes, like we see them here and there now, but during an event like this, it would be covered with these. And in in my dissertation, I was saying, what happens when one lake, the dam breaks, you know, the ice dam that's retaining the lake, let's say, because these ice sheets, they're two and a half kilometers in height, maybe three kilometers at the center. Uh, what happens when a dam breaks and it, this water uh, sort of surges down the ice sheet, triggering other lakes to discharge and so on? And it's a domino effect. And by the time it gets to the edge of the ice sheet, you've got this wave of water about 1,000 kilometers wide uh, and maybe half a mile high or at least uh, half a kilometer high, traveling hundreds of miles per hour, surging across the continent. And anything in its wake is going to get drowned. It's going gonna to surmount mountains. I was in Bosnia looking at the pyramid uh, 2014 and uh, that pyramid is built in, in uh, 38 let's see 38, 38 40,000 30, mil- yeah. years ago huh? yeah excuse me yeah, yeah i've 30, i've
1: i've interviewed dr sam so yeah yeah yeah.
2: Uh, i was there and i i, I he had a date carbon 14 date 30,000 i told him it's actually older because you've got to convert that to calendar years, and I gave him the conversion scale. So he's got uh-huh. all that, so he's converting now. So 34,000 years old, and uh, that's covered with flood sediment that due to one oh, of these previous yes. events. Yeah, oh, And wow. that's why it's buried, and that's why people say, oh, that's just a mountain. Well, it's a pyramid. it was a pyramid, but it got flooded over and uh, dumped all the sand on it. And that explains why they had the tunnels. The tunnels were place to take refuge uh, from the, the flood and the cosmic rays. And if you study the ice record, you see that right about the time that was built, before that date, there was some pretty heavy. There was pretty heavy uh, solar flare activity. You know, high cosmic ray levels mm-hmm. based on carbon fourteen. And right after that. <clears throat> so they built it in time and they had a refuge uh, because it's it's wonderful and not only is it healing uh, it heals you in the tunnels but it produces i guess fresh air uh it's got ions it's got high ion yeah. content it's actually healing
1: yeah it's 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 high negative ions yeah
2: right right so i mean it's not not like any of the baloney b- shelters that our military would build.
1: <laughs> which, <laughs>
2: you know, this no, is natural. Then, These people had a high science back then, which is amazing.
1: Well, they uh, had the their cer- the ceramic um boulders that they had over the the water to keep it from flooding the tunnels too, which was fascinating.
2: Right. Right. You've been there, huh?
1: You've no, been, I uh, I just have I've done a lot of research on Dr. Sam cuz uh, I've had him on the show.
2: Yeah, it's a very interesting place to visit. um anyway, yeah, he, he, uh, the Grand Canyon that everyone's familiar with was not uh-huh. produced by the Colorado River. That is a ridiculous theory. I mean, how could the little Colorado River
0: carve <laughs> that,
2: you know, sure. and flow uphill? They're saying if you go to the plaque, there, here, here's the Grand Canyon, you're looking out, and they, they're giving their theory saying the problem is we don't understand how – Colorado River flowed uphill to carve it because <laughs> <No, God. laughs> the grade of the land is uphill there. And the truth is these glacier waves came down from all that distance from, the surf, uh, from Canada, from the edge of the ice sheet. They uh, traveled all that way, uh, flooding over mountains, and ended up uh, flooding that whole area there the whole area where the Grand Canyon is was submerged in water. It was like a a mega lake covering several states at large. And the water, there was apparently some canyon, some small canyon where it could uh, escape down, which is what the Colorado River is today. And it just carved that and carved it every time. It, It was like water going down a bathtub. And mm-hmm. if you look at the canyon, Grand Canyon, uh, it's carved the, – the canyon walls show flooding from all directions. It's not – it's a dendritic, if you know what I mean. It's not like a yes. single canyon. Dendritic, it's like uh, water coming from everywhere, going wherever it can find a place, and it's carving this canyon. Um so I, I did. I did this in my last lecture in February, I was showing slides. We flew over the Grand Canyon in the airplane. and We were taking pictures, and we went there and t- took a lot of pictures. So it's really amazing for everyone to see, just so you understand uh, the magnitude of
1: this and uh, and that
2: the Indians well, are true.
1: It happened with the Antarctic too, because the uh, pre map pre map that that they show that um at one point that that all of that um ice had been melted and and the map shows the outline of the continent of Antarctica and right. and that you know it it definitely there was dry land there and people often wonder well how could this have happened well hmm. if the ice melted it would be real easy exactly and they it, and there are you know, there you know, are I discussed li- it in
2: my book right
1: I read or you your didn't book
2: that yeah. far. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I caught you. You didn't catch that. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, and the, the question is, how, you know, the, why was Antarctica ice free? And you get these baloney theories like Velikovsky, Hapgood, Flemath, who say, oh, Antarctica was up where South America is, and then it, the pole shifted by 30 degrees and it came to where it's present uh, place. Well, if they just look at the ice core evidence, uh, the, I, the, see if it was that way, it would mean at the end of the ice age, Antarctica should have, coo- uh, should have um, cooled off, right? In other words, uh-huh. it would have been warmer during the ice age in Antarctica, and then it cooled off. And if you do uh, look at the ice records, and we put about, oh, 10 different ice cores into Antarctica. In every case, you see that during the ice age, Antarctica was like nine degrees centigrade cooler, not warmer. So it had to be something else. So what was it? Well, you, you go back in time, and 120,000 well, 100 120, years ago, we had an interglacial where the climate was actually warmer than our current climate. It was a few degrees warmer, and in that case, Antarctica's shorelines would have been ice-free. And this implies, quite astoundingly, that the Perry-Reese map dates from a map that had been handed down over 120,000 years. From wow. an advanced civilization that was able to navigate the oceans at that time. I mean, these are mind-blowing things that are swept, that are covered over, because people don't stretch their imagination a little. Um, well,
1: isn't there today um, a a river in Antarctic that, that I know that the military is told not to fly over, but there is a lake there in the middle of the ice?
2: Mm-hmm. Well, of course, it's uh, also a volcanic area, so yeah. it could, due to its own heating from the volcanoes, it could create ice.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: but you're saying that there's a surface lake, huh?
1: Yes, there's a surface lake.
2: Hmm. And they um, say that I, if the he... Nazis uh, had their own secret base there after World War II. That yeah, they, under the uh, caverns, yeah. They went in with submarines they found under water passages i don't know why hollywood hasn't made a a movie about this uh, be, make a jules verne movie look like you know something real past <laughs> I That's mean, true. Uh, I, they, just, they, I just i just
1: noticed it, it, we've been talking here for an hour did you want to take a break or you want to just keep going yeah, i
2: could i could like uh four minutes or something or three four minutes or
1: okay i'll i'll babble on here and water. you you, and you get your water yeah yeah. Okay,
2: so you keep going and I'll uh, take off. For I'll a few just keep minutes. talking. All you
1: right. know, a lot of a lot of the material that that he has been talking about certainly is material that we've covered in one way or another over time and um I think what I find the most interesting about this amazing book that he's written is it is that he he validates all of these quote unquote theories with scientific fact, which blows me away and and makes me want to you know buy tons of the books and give them to people that you know say you know say i'm crazy or i'm out of my mind and stuff like that because so much of of what he goes into is so clearly related to um these mega waves these super waves that come from the center of the universe and and, and it makes more sense to me that that it's, it's sci- it doesn't take away any of the spirituality, it doesn't take away any of the mysticism, but but it validates the fact that a lot of the things that we have looked upon as um, as myths and fable and and all sorts of stuff like that, um, it 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 gives it greater validity. Um, they found and and this is from his book, and I can't quote you exactly, but that that. Humanity, Homo sapiens, they found evidence of Homo sapiens here for 145,000 years so that we've been on this planet for a very long time, and there have been many mass extinctions. And what I love about this material is that the, 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 the explanation as to what happens that causes mass extinctions has been in front of us all along. And the generation after generation um, of humanity has gone through these experiences. And today we can explain it. We, we, I don't think we know how to avoid it, but it's explainable so that so that it gives you a greater sense of, okay, this is why things happen. I've been talking for a couple of years about how farmers are, are having trouble with knowing when to plant and when to harvest because the seasons are changing and they are and there is also a sense of and i think it has to be <clears throat> there's almost an element of paranoia in the air these days and and i i i want to blame it on cosmic dust though i'll never be able to prove that but that there is a sense here of humanity is feeling something coming and they don't know what it is and they they try to pin it on you know either politics or pandemics or things like that but but the reality is um there, there is something hurtling towards us and we don't know when it's going to hit or or where or if we're going to survive it or not and it seems to me that that if we we know what's coming we should be able to in some way help to prevent it and um paul talked about the fact that there is a there is a space program now, but there's been a there's been a secret space program out there since the 80s or the 70s. I can't remember which. Um, if you if you go online and look at um, Above Majestic on YouTube, it does go into a lot of that stuff. Um, a lot of things that we call conspiracy are actually fact, factual, and it's it's up to us to kind of take a look at all of this stuff and then try to push our politicians into talking to one another so that so, so that these issues can be addressed so that, you know, I, I don't know if there's any kind of shield we could put up, but certainly science fiction has talked about a shield that the earth had around it. And if science fiction has talked about it, I would imagine scientists are working on it now because uh, our science fiction has always been a precursor to opening humanity up to, what is in reality going to come? I mean, you look at uh, look at Star Trek with with the doors opening and shutting, and wasn't that really cool when it was on on TV generations, de- decades ago? And now we go in and out of malls, and the doors open and close behind us, and we think nothing of it. So that so that science fiction has always been opening our consciousness up to things that were going to come and we would become used to in the future. So why not a shield around the Earth? Why not? Um, I don't see see us all migrating to another planet, but it does seem to me that in the past generations, the fables all tell about how parts of humanity did survive these super waves. So why can't more of humanity survive them if we know what's coming? And, Provide. I mean, there are shelters and things like that, but sometimes these super waves go on for years and years and years. So, we're or a thousand I, years. I, a thousand years sometimes.
2: Uh, the one uh, that killed the Neanderthals went for three or four thousand years. And that's a long
1: time to be underground.
2: Now that's not in my book because uh, all the data that came out to conclude about Neanderthals was. Around 2014. Uh, my book initially was published in 97. I self published, and then it was published by uh, uh, Inner Traditions, Barron Company, in 2005. Uh-huh. And uh, so there's a lot of new things that uh, I have published in Nexus Magazine briefly about it. Um, the, the article. Can, I you, wrote about can you
1: get a little closer to the microphone so you're a little louder?
2: Okay, let me see. Okay, is that better?
1: Oh, much better, yes.
2: Okay. Um, Yeah, I published uh, in Nexus Magazine about that. You see, they discovered that Neanderthals, they thought Neanderthals died out over 10,000 years during the Ice Age, and they were suggesting, well, maybe humans displaced them or something. Uh, At that time, the guy did a key study, some guy from Harvard or somewhere, uh, that showed that he redated all the remains and found, no, that the Neanderthals all died out at the same time. And they didn't talk about catastrophe, but it just happens that that date that they concluded coincides with the biggest cosmic ray peak in the Earth's record, uh for the last 60,000 years and oh, wow. it was also the biggest uh rise of radiocarbon radiocarbon in the earth's atmosphere rises because of cosmic rays whether it's galactic or solar and you you see this 2000 year rise of carbon 14 uh and at the peak you have this reversal of the earth's magnetic field incredible Uh, What causes the reversal? The cosmic rays. uh, Reversals don't happen on their own. and uh, I'm the first to talk about this in my dissertation, uh, how this happens. Uh, They find with the Sun, with the Earth, the Earth's magnetic field, that when the Earth gets hit by a solar flare, the magnetic field momentarily decreases intensity. And they call that main phase decrease. And they've seen up to a 1.5% decrease. So all I did, I said, what if you scale that up 100 times, a megaflare hitting the Earth, it's going to decrease so much that the, the, the Earth's field is nulled out. <clears throat> See, what happens, <clears throat> the cosmic rays from the sun get trapped in the Earth's magnetic field, and they create a current a belt current around the Earth that creates a magnetic field exactly opposed to the Earth's field. And so it it can, if that's large enough, it will actually cancel it out. And they've done experiments that show that if you put an external magnetic field on a magnet, you can actually flip it. So it could actually flip the core field, which is a matter of reversing the current in the core of the Earth. And uh, that's apparently what happened uh, 41 1000 years ago 42000 you see a period of 400 years where the earth's magnetic field went to 5% of its current intensity and had a reversal at the beginning of that it was like a reversal of uh, 50 years or so and then another reversal at the end of that period another 50 years uh, what would
1: that do to the surface of the earth
2: Well, you're completely unprotected. The the Earth's magnetic field is no longer protecting you. You're getting hit by these mega flares that cause the uh, field to reverse. And uh, so anything outdoors would have gotten lethal dose. Um, And this explains why the Neanderthal passed away. So the question that we should be asking, what sociologists or anthropologists should ask now is why – Mankind made it through that event because humans were living at that time. Why mankind Uh made it through and Neanderthals didn't? And you say, well, maybe Neanderthals were hunting when the sun was out, whereas humans hunted in the dark or something uh, and was safer, or maybe humans stayed in their caves and Neanderthals didn't. Uh, So, you know, this is an interesting question that we need to. Find, um, But uh, yes, you find it recorded in the myths about the uh, the Mayan myth, about the men of uh, straw and then the men of wood, you know, and each one was terminated mm-hmm. by a catastrophe. Uh, yeah. so these were maybe the men of wood, or whatever you know quote men of wood.
1: Would one <laughs> of these would one of these births be like an um, EMP burst?
2: From the sun, or from the sun. Yeah, I, I'm, mean, wondering, the yeah I'm
1: wondering if if one of these super waves or bursts or whatever hit the planet now, would all yeah, of our electronics go out?
2: Exactly. It would have an EMP uh, at its mm-hmm. forefront, which would knock out all communications. Uh, all cell phones would go dead, uh, telecommunication, TV signals uh we would be that's a danger all our communications would be knocked out like happened in hawaii with the starfish explosion where they uh-huh. exploded a nuclear weapon in the atmosphere and they blacked out all of why so the it not only that but it blacks out it, uh it, it fries your transformers um, uh, sort of like what a solar flare would do uh and uh so they say it could take uh decades to get the 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 grid back up because you have to figure you have to manufacture these transformers and replace the burned out ones well that's uh, assuming
1: you survived the burst
2: right 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 of, of course this is um, um yeah uh it may it, it's not going to be as bad as a solar flare mega flare it's not going to be as bad okay. as what killed the um, mammoths and mastodons, um, but it, it would definitely create genetic uh, change and uh, could create some radiation sickness. Uh, and, uh, could it be
1: the radiation sickness that killed off the Neanderthals?
2: That's uh, very possible. It may, have, you know, if it wasn't a, at lethal dose where you die in a few days, it could have been enough that it wiped out their immune system and they started catching colds and stuff and died of that. Uh, so, I mean, we we don't know that it can't uh, from forty two thousand years later it's difficult to say how quickly they died out because there's plus and minus with all this but we know that they all coincide at that same date let's say within 100 years or so, a few hundred years so it could have, it you know, a, ge- a few generations died out could have died out because of that. Well, Maybe it, it sterilized po- them they could have been sterilized too. That's another thing to think about
1: That's that's a That's a good point In your book, you talked about how um, humanity has been around, and I I don't remember the something like 145,000 years.
2: Okay, well, that's uh, I'm quoting the standard uh, view based on genetic. uh, What do they call it? Uh, uh, They look at the genes, uh, the, the mitochondrial DNA. They've come up with an age for the human race. Yeah.
1: But but then Neanderthals were part of that, and they didn't last long at all. So how right, did, we, have how some,
2: did you... we have Neanderthal blood in us. If you're Northern European, uh, they say uh-huh. a lot of the genes are Neanderthal there. Uh, and no, look at all the races we have. Uh, you know, the story of Babel that before all languages were one, but afterwards everyone was speaking different languages. Well, it's the same with the human race. We may have been more homogeneous before, but when you have a a catastrophe like this, it's a radiation event, it not only Uh kills off a lot of people, but it creates a lot of genetic mutation. And so people end up not mixing... uh, as much they're in these pockets, the the survivors are sort of in pockets, and each having their own genetic mutations, they end up evolving differently. So you have Asian Americans, Afro Americans, uh, um, you know, Eskimo, each with a mm-hmm. slightly different genetic background. Coming.
1: And, and Eskimos have a gene that, that allows them to survive in the cold that, that we don't have, you know, in the mm-hmm. warmer regions. And, you know, there there is all of that going on now. But what fascinates me is there have been, depending on what culture you're looking at, how many worlds there have been or how many mass extinctions there have been or whatever, I mean, everybody has their own number and, and explanation to them, but this, the answer or the explanation to what has happened here on planet Earth, you know according to your book, and it makes great sense to me, comes from the center of the galaxy, these, these yeah. super waves that, that come at us all the time. Um, and and uh, obviously the, the knowledge of what causes it and what's coming at us have been out there for thousands of years. The explanation as to what's happening, and and in in the different mythologies and the stories, and hmm. and so so. But well, we didn't believe answer,
2: You know, we wouldn't believe that that those. We thought those were just bedtime stories. Uh, but of course, but they, you did they, have to all, believe in the biblical flood. You know. Well, um, sure. Although but, the the scientists wouldn't. The scientists didn't. They <laughs> consider that poppycock. In fact, do you, you know that uh, geology was a reaction against the f- the flood theorists of the a- 1800s? They got fed up with uh, people theorizing that the the drift, the deposits around the earth, were due to a flood, and said, "No, this, these were due to glaciers moving very slowly. There was no catastrophism at all." So then, oh, the geology erratica, got, yeah got formed into this non-catastrophe paradigm, which they actually oppose any theories that are going to talk about catastrophes. Uh But you see it on Mars, too. You look on Mars and you see these canyons, the canyons of Mars. And one uh, geologist noted the, the similarity of the canyons on Mars to those on Earth. So what happened on Earth happened on Mars too. Mars had ice. There's actually ice. They've proven this under the surface of the under its surface, just a few millimeters under the surface. You have ice because uh, water on Mars ice will sublime, means it goes directly from ice state to gas, and it leaves the dust. But the mm-hmm. ice is still there. And in the case of a A solar event, solar flare event, that hit Mars, that ice would suddenly liquefy. And you get uh, thunderous, uh, I call them glacier waves, uh, pouring down through these canyons, carving these canyons, just like on Earth. Um, On the moon, they found evidence of moon rocks that had been glazed. By such an intense heat, it turned a rock to glass. Uh, this uh, and Herbert Zook NASA scientist wrote a paper where he uh, analyzed the solar flare tracks on these glazed surfaces and was able to get a timetable of solar flare intensity on the moon and he found it went exponentially up and reached a peak around 16,000 years ago Uh, if you considered that there was also a change of the amount of uh, cratering. The cratering was at a faster rate. That would somewhat compress that peak and bring it a little forward in time. Uh, so you'll find evidence. All, the Earth is like a uh, recording, just like you do a magnetic recording of your voice. The Earth records what's happened to it. It's all recorded in the ice record, in the geologic record. And the problem is geologists, they haven't got their, their, their mind around it. All, all of these concepts I'm talking about uh, would be, they don't teach them in, uh, in, in universities. And a lot of uh, scientists would be difficult to accept them because they're so different from the way they believe. Uh, I did finally get my Glacier Wave paper published a few years ago because it was taking me so long to get everything else published because of all the resistance I was getting. One paper took Uh me 30 years to publish on my ice core findings, the uh, cosmic dust findings. We found a lot of uh, tin and uh, lead in one of the samples along with... Uh uh, Precious metals like gold. I was the first to discover gold in ice, Uh, iridium. Yeah, but how far
1: down? How far Uh, down did you have to go to get that?
2: uh, Well, that core was from about 1,400 meters down, so almost a mile below the surface in Greenland. Uh, And
1: how many? And how many years does that?
2: Well, you yeah, know that core was not accurate initially, and when I published my paper, I had different dates. But now, as we've gotten more core, that was there were in in the days I was working, there were only two ice cores, one in Greenland, one in Antarctica, and then they started drilling others, and we got better chronologies of the ice records, and I was able to redate that Greenland core and it turns out that that event occurs around 49,000 years ago where you get the tin, something like 90% of the dust in that core was tin and lead, can you believe? And, and now you can understand why it was so hard to get my data published because nobody finds that in, in uh, you know, accumulation of tin and lead. They thought my samples were contaminated. and. Uh, it, it was a, a journey, you know. I had got, gotten inspiration, almost like a voice told me, check the mm-hmm. isotopes. Uh, Tin has ten isotopes. It has the most isotopes of any element on Earth. And uh, one way to tell if something is cosmic or not is the isotopic ratios. If they're different from what we find on Earth, we assume it's cosmic, because that means it's been bombarded out in space by cosmic rays. And Mm -hmm. so I was presenting my results. This is after my dissertation uh, had been published. I was presenting in Mainz, Germany, and they happened to uh, put me up for a place to stay, one of the faculty guest houses with uh, a uh, geophysicist from Australia uh, uh, who did mass spectrometry work, uh, geochemist. And he was the first to make a breakthrough on doing mass spectrometry of tin because tin, they couldn't measure accurately before, and he developed a new technique. And it was like, you know, what, what, how do these things happen? You know, it's like coincidence. Yeah. You're put in the same r- room. And I mentioned to him, well, I made the discovery of a, a lot of tin. I have ice core samples with this tin. Would you be interested to check it out for uh, Ice Topic Anomaly? I so said, sure, and I mailed him the sample to Australia, and he found anomalies in three of the isotopes, and w- one of them was a huge anomaly, so there was no question that this was extraterrestrial. It was the first time they found an uh, isotopic anomaly in tin uh, that could be extraterrestrial, and uh, so this was one thing. Uh, the other was the fact it contained nickel and iridium, which you find in, in great abundance in extraterrestrial material. It's thousands of mm-hmm. times more abundant in cosmic material. Um, but I didn't have a good <clears throat> theory because they kept saying, but how would you explain all this happening to have so much tin and lead? And so finally it dawned on me, what is it about tin and lead that makes them different from any of the other elements? And that is they're superconductors. When they're in space, at, uh, they're in a metallic state at three degrees Kelvin, three degrees above absolute zero, they're going to be superconducting these particles. And any magnetic field that sweeps through the galaxy is going to sweep these up. By what's called the Meissner effect, if you want to mm-hmm. look it up. And so it's like a rake sweeping up these particles and sweeping them and concentrating them. And so you could get whole comets formed just out of lead and tin and lead. And it turned out, if you measure, if you assume that this was what you were seeing in Greenland happened all over the world, it would have been one of the biggest cosmic dust incursions. Uh, since the last 300,000 years, uh, wow. and it would have uh, polluted the water because uh, lead, you know, it was above the EPA limit for lead contamination of water. It was uh, not, you know, about I don't know ten times or whatever.
1: <clears throat>
2: so it wouldn't have been healthy for sure, uh, but it would have affected the sun and it. it it's example one example of many that I've found. Uh, I've written papers about this, of coming into the solar system uh, and causing climatic change of the Earth. You
1: know. Isn't it quite amazing that humanity has survived as long as it has, considering <laughs> what keeps befalling the planet?
2: Yeah, it's a real struggle. If you go to Turkey, they have... Dug tunnels underground. There's certain cities that go down like 11 stories underground.
1: They yeah, got rooms they can, and everything. Yeah, it they, like they they are. Had a whole f- city.
2: Huh?
1: Well, they did, and and uh, that's not very far from Goblec- Gobekli Tepe either. So, yeah.
2: but not just um, they- there. I mean, all over. In fact, uh, these tunnels are often sealed up so people don't get lost in them. I know there's some in, in Athens, Greece, where I spend time, uh, uh-huh. and there's rumors that they could be accessed from underneath a certain building uh, or a certain monastery has an entrance. Uh, and they don't... They keep those quiet for I don't know what reason. It's uh, sort of like a part of the mystique uh, or something. Uh, but they're... Also in Germany or Austria, I think, there, were, there was a guy, he was doing some repairs in his basement, and he, the wall broke through into a tunnel, and he found he could go quite a distance underneath. And I think he was, for some reason, killed off or something. They didn't want that known. It's like there's, they're trying to keep these tunnels secret,
1: well, there there are tremendous tunnels under the under the Giza Plateau.
2: Mm. Yes, of course, the, uh, Herodotus wrote about that, but yeah. they don't show the tourists those. Oh, gosh, no. Yeah. And uh, they say there's some tunnels, like from Tibet, that lead to underground cities like Shangri-La. Mm-hmm. This uh, may not be just a myth. They, there's people that claim, no, that's real. Uh, people go down, they never come back, but it's because they're not allowed to come back. They don't want people to know on the surface that they
1: well and and then you've got all the hollow earth stuff too so you know gen um, you know Admiral Berg theoretically went there
2: well, you don't have to but, say the whole center of the earth is hollow but you could say that going down uh tem 10 miles underneath the surface of the earth. Maybe you have huge caverns and uh, hollowed-out regions. Uh, Some of these caverns can be immense. Uh, If you ever go to what's it called, Carlsbad Cavern in uh, New Mexico, it's incredible, like you're inside cathedrals. Uh, Cathedrals would fit inside those. Uh, And uh, from what you hear on the Internet, uh, people are leaking stuff about, Military has tunnels going into huge caverns, and some of these caverns would make Cow's Bag Cavern look like small potatoes. So, and then they talk about ETs living underground. Mm-hmm. So, apparently, uh, the, the, in fact, in the myth, they talk about the ant people that uh, would yep. uh, protect them. and So some, you What's could say some hope? of these grays that's look it. like ants, big ants, if you want to call it. <laughs>
1: What, wasn't that the hopis didn't they say the ant people yeah. protected them
2: right they came out of the ground and uh, they had them hide in kivas
1: mhm uh, No. W- so with all this with all this information knowing that there is at some time a super wave a- aimed in our direction or it may be on the way already who knows how how do, i mean this information is put out there in the stars the direction it's come from is we're told where the source is um, how do, how does the earth as a whole uh, protect itself from a superwave how no, would you, were
2: you protect you were talking about that when i came in you were talking about a shield and i talk about that yeah. in my book also at the end of my at the video there's a video produced on based on the book on earth, it's called earth under fire And if people Mm -hmm. are interested, they can view it on Gaia TV. So many of your listeners perhaps have uh, 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 subscriptions to Gaia TV. Uh, And if you don't, I think they give you, uh, uh, was it a month free or something? I don't know.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, And you just put in Earth Under Fire and you'll see it's excellent video. These people did a professional job. Uh, Jay Widner, who uh, made a lot of videos, he was uh, uh, writing the script and uh, was main main help in that. Uh, and in the towards the end of the video, I talk about what could we do to protect the planet, and I'm talking about the possible the possibility of creating an electromagnetic shield. And it's not science fiction. I mean, we have the, the technology to do this. You know, it's, um, it uses microwave beams where you – it's called phase conjugate microwave technology.
1: Uh-huh.
2: <clears throat> uh, Tesla was working with this kind of stuff. Yes. Uh, you can uh, – I don't know if you've heard of Thomas Bearden. He was, he's talked about it. About experimentation done in the Soviet Union at that time and the U.S. The U.S. has experimented with this. And in my book on pulsars—I have a book called *Decoding the Message of the Pulsars*, which uh-huh. is where I got the inspiration for the superwave. And that's a fascinating book. It shows that there is a galactic federation. Uh, they use these pulsars for apparently for. Uh, as a GPS system for interstellar travel. And they're also beaming a warning message to us about the uh, the superwave that happened in the past to attract our attention so we get sort of, you know, uh, uh, clued in. Uh, they, they have the prime directive. They're not supposed to come and uh, change our diapers, you know. It's up to <laughs> us to do this. And I've done the best I can. This is all fallen on my shoulders because I'm the one that uh, made the initial discovery. I found the Pulsars, and you know, I got all sorts of poo-poo from SETI. The guy wouldn't even r- look at my book. Uh, I finally published it in a referee journal, a summary. Uh, uh-huh. But still, you know, you don't hear about my stuff on the mainstream media. It's all suppressed. And if, if you want to know uh, – Forrestal, uh, he was, uh, what was he, uh, Chief of uh, Secretary of Defense in the 1940s. Uh, before he was thrown out the 14-floor window uh, for <laughs> talking too much about the uh, project paperclip, or was it some project where they went to Antarctica and, and encountered Nazi UFOs in a battle, oh, that... and they whipped our whipped our ass, oh, that... and we beat Went that back was to jump. Washington, and they they were afraid to tell anybody that the Nazis, after World War II was over, had beat the hell out of us. No, um, so that
1: was Project. That was Project High Jump.
2: High Jump, yeah. And he took a high jump, so to speak, yeah. after <laughs> leaking. Um, but uh, he was saying, and it's in Tompkins' book, uh, or Tompkins, who is was, uh, was working with. Uh, some of the black projects that uh, uh-huh. put us on the moon and so on. Uh, he wrote a book, and he's also been interviewed before he passed away. And he was saying that Forrestal had said that everything you read that's in the books is is, is false. That everything is taught in universities, all what the PhDs learn uh, in the field of medicine, science, uh, sociology, it's all Uh, incorrect. And, uh, so you have to, and I agree. I mean, incredible amount of baloney taught in physics and astronomy. They still haven't, and they don't, you know, they're not, it's sort of like linear thinking and they keep going with their, their standard views. Uh, just like the Catholic church in the, uh, days of Galileo, they're frozen into this, uh, Religious view It's really a religious view uh, Similar to religion uh, yeah. they, they don't think They don't use their minds to think And to expand their horizons And that's, that's what I deal with And <clears throat> I thought by now I would have uh, Alerted I, We sent out Starburst Foundation my, The foundation I founded And you can look it up It's uh, starburstfound.org you, you didn't put that URL up there but that's the Starburst Foundation it has a lot of information on superwaves. It has also forums you can go to, like one on superwaves. So there's a forum with a lot of information. Also on etheric.com, I have a lot of information on postings there if you search for superwaves. Um, but uh, it, we formed in '84. This was right after I got my PhD dissertation in '83. I formed that and. <clears throat> We have we've had a 40-year struggle to get funds. Uh, people like to fund the arts and other things, not uh, theories that are going against mainstream science. And one of our goals was to inform humanity about this. Uh, we did send out. We had a project, uh, sort of, to inform the, all the main governments. We sent a brochure. Summarizing all about the superwave theory and the, the fact that we are overdue for one, and so that they will understand. And this was back in, in the 80s when we still had nuclear weapons, and we were warning them to not mistake the EMP for a nuclear blast. We don't want another world war with nuclear bombs. And unfortunately, right. they got rid of their weapons to some extent. But uh, we sent to uh, all the U.N. U- U- ambassadors, to the White House, to uh, d- defense, some of the defense committees, Senate uh, defense committees, uh, nuclear defense agencies, so on. And we did get back some r- responses. Uh, Senator Hatfield wrote me a nice letter back from Oregon, and uh, some of the ambassadors, like the British ambassadors, Tanzanian ambassador or uh a few others uh who they weren't <clears throat> you know they weren't criticizing the idea they were saying thanks for letting us know and and they would uh, take it seriously um, but all that has probably been forgotten you know here year, thirty years later um, and I don't know you know I did the best I could, you know. And I don't know who else is going to be coming in my wake. I'm getting on in age. Uh, I'm hoping I will, if we do have a super wave in 2029, 20, like Peter Denault says, I hope I'm alive to see it at least.
1: <laughs>
2: so, <laughs> sort of like the guy on the volcano there in, what was it, in 2012? He's on the volcano. When it erupted. I
1: love that movie. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, But uh, anything people can do to spread the word, read my book, see the video, and uh, there's also my dissertation. If you're into reading technical stuff, uh, I have 700
1: pages? Don't think Mm -hmm. so.
2: (laughs) (laughs) It's updated. I've updated it with a lot of nice pictures. You see a lot of nice Mars pictures of the canes of Mars in color which you can't really do that in uh, Earth Under Fire, Earth Under Fire is black and white. I have a few pictures there, but some of these pictures are astounding. And, uh, you know, a lot of, I keep updating it with the latest information that's coming out. You know, the superwave theory has made something like 13 or 14 predictions that have all become confirmed. So there's the track record. And if you're interested to see them, to read them, uh, go on uh, Starburst, go to starburstfound.org and sli- select predictions or etheric.com. I have a, also there, superwave predictions. And it lists uh, all the predictions and, you know, things where they were thinking entirely different. Like, for example, they thought galactic core explosions happen every 10 to 100 million years. And I was saying, no, it could be every 10,000 years, fairly big ones. And, mm-hmm. uh, Later they found, as they were studying these, sure enough, now they're saying every 10,000 years. Uh, in fact, a fellow who was working for Starburst was one of our volunteers. We're a volunteer organization. We don't have money to pay anybody. If you want, please make contribution. We're currently sustained by one donor only. <laughs> Without this one guy, you know, where would we be? Uh, so please make contribution to the foundation because we're supposed to be the ones to alert the world if we see the signs coming, because they got it totally wrong. You know, It's incredible, so much baloney that's out there in the scientific world. Uh, and uh, so I have all this on my shoulders. I wish we could hire people to have a mass media campaign. I, you know, I write my own press releases, and they're not published. You know, we maybe need to pay people to get things in print. I don't know. But um, I'm doing the best I can. And, of course, I work in other fields, too. So I'm not now doing this only. I also work on subquantum kinetics. And it would be nice to have people working just on this. Uh, uh, one book has just come out uh, Called uh, Day After Singularity it really promotes my book on Pulsar's decoding message of Pulsar it devotes a whole chapter to because he considers it so mind-blowing. It's proof. It's actual proof of life outside of our planet. You know? And uh, well, and, that's, here, and benevolent that's... life because they're trying to help us. You know, if we will help ourselves, if we will only help ourselves. So now uh, we have the technology to create shields instead of using the technology to demolish the World Trade Center like it was used Uh because you can make directed energy weapons. And I talk about that in my book, Secrets of Antigravity Propulsion, this technology is described there. And, in fact, uh, I talk about one leak that came out at a conference where uh, one French uh, physicist was talking about the mylar, microwave mylar platform in space that, that we have and he would quickly uh, Jacques Vallée called him which means shut up uh, <laughs> people aren't supposed to know about that in other words it's mylar so it's not detected by radar and it's a microwave beam platform and uh, some apparently some uh, off world civilization it could have been spun off by the black projects. You know, like Eisenhower said, beware of the military-industrial complex. Well, yes, uh, they apparently have these weapons, and they wanted to demonstrate to us their power, and they took out the World Trade Center. And uh, you could say, well, maybe they were doing a, a – a, uh, a benefit to us so it wouldn't sort of uh, lean over and hit all the other buildings in domino fashion? I don't think so. It, w- it would have st- stood you know, after the plane crash. It was obviously going to stand. And, oh, that was... As those, Judy Woods yeah, those
1: were it, those were controlled demolitions for sure.
2: Yeah, uh, but uh, you watch it, as Judy Woods said in her book, uh, you see a dustification of the building. You see concrete uh-huh. falling, and it turns to dust in midair. And yeah. controlled demolition doesn't do that. They found the oh, cars with burned roofs. The paint was burned right off the roof uh, in in a, uh, a bullseye pattern. In other words, every so often you get a. It's like an interference pattern of energy burning the paint off the roofs of the cars. Uh, it looks like a cookie, cookie cutter, you know. Uh-huh. Uh, and the, 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 we have this capability, it's phase conjugation. You keep pumping energy into the beam. It keeps pumping up and up and up in energy uh, because it's trapped in the beam. It's not like a regular radio broadcast. It, it, energy stays in the beam. Uh, you know, give me a team of scientists, I'll build you one. You know, it's not that <laughs> difficult. Uh, give me 50 million and uh, PhDs from the top schools. Um but and I, I discussed the basics, which were kept secret, and I, I brought them out called uh, it was called Project sky Vault. They were using it for propelling sh- uh, spaceships up in the sky. So our initial fleet that Tompkins is talking about that we were putting in space had to be gotten up there somehow. They were building them in Utah. And yeah. I actually had a dream, not dream, but, uh, yeah, a lucid dream where it was in color. And I was watching aircraft, aircraft carrier-sized ships being uh, beamed up with, they had energy beams from projectors underneath them that were lifting them, actually lifting them out of their uh, construction facilities into space. And uh, this is actually, later I, I discovered about Project Sky Vault, and this was actually being done.
1: Um, Did you ever watch um, Above Majestic on YouTube?
2: Majestic?
1: Above no. Majestic.
2: Oh, Above Majestic? Um, uh, maybe not.
1: Yeah. It's, it's on YouTube. I think it's on um, Amazon Prime, too. You can, And it goes into all of this material.
0: Mm.
1: Goes right along with everything you're saying.
2: Above and it's majestic. got Tompkins
1: in it. Yeah, it it has Tompkins, Tompkins in it too. I'd
2: be very interested to uh, if, uh, yeah, he Ted, unfortunately passed away. Yeah. Um and uh what's his name uh working with him uh who was editing his book uh Bob Wood. Uh-huh. He's supposed to come out with two sequels. That Tompkins ah. wrote and he was supposed to edit. And uh, I contacted him before COVID and he still hadn't finished the editing, but he expected it to come out soon. But Bob's getting on an age and I hope he completes these pretty soon. I found Tompkins' book very interesting. It's really eye opening.
1: Yeah, know? it's, you know, it's, this material is out there and and it's um it's it's fascinating to look at and and you y- you when you think of all of the black ops all of the underground stuff that underground in in you know we, we don't know about um the secret space program that's been out there for decades um the 20 and and 20 in release the the uh, term that, you know, people serve out there and then they have their memories wiped and put back on earth. I mean, there's so much going on that I truly mm. believe is going on. And mm. it, it's sort of like uh, this show is is one of the formats that, you know, you, you you put it out there and you say to people, think about this. See what feels right. See what doesn't feel right. Because, you know, at some point in time, um humanity has to as a whole embrace where where we are going because we are being kept in the dark ages and a great deal of our society is is out in space already which is really scary yes yeah so um but your material goes right along with all of this so um the which, you know the which it material? All of the material you're talking about oh, yeah. is is it, it, it dovetails right in with all of this other material, and you know the more you're not in, you, you've been working in isolation, and yet there's so much else going on out there that at some point in time it's all got to come together because if it doesn't, then then we become we become well, pieces in a in a in a game yeah, puzzle, and I, we don't even know what the game is.
2: I have gone and given a lot of lectures, uh, conferences about superwaves, of course, on other topics, too, but a lot on superwaves. But I, I haven't been to that many science conferences because of the expense. Starburst doesn't have the expense to fund me to go to some of these major science conferences and open the eyes of the scientists, if it's possible to open their eyes. Uh, I did manage to go to one uh, in Atlanta, the American Astronomical Society meeting, which is the big conference for astronomers, and Uh presented about the pulsars. And uh, I didn't get criticism, you know. I did get a few questions, but, I mean, I didn't get rated afterwards uh, with uh, questions, uh, which you would expect for such a incredible statement um, but uh, I have a a video on my site earth uh, on uh, etheric com which is from that conference the presentation and, and afterwards I had a table where people were coming up and I was talking to them um, but uh,
1: it's very you know, hard to breakthrough when you when yeah. you stop and think about what you're trying to tell them it's 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 mind-blowing and it's people paradigm
2: to, shifting pe- uh, they're caught yeah. in a paradigm and it's difficult for them to get out of it and really uh-huh. understand what the heck you're saying you know that's it exactly and i can't take them by the shoulders and shake them
1: you know i <laughs> no that doesn't work you can get it you can get put in jail for that um <laughs> no it it's it's people have to be open to the possibility that there is more out there than they than they know and it, it's it, i i i kind of feel sometimes like i hit my head against a stone wall when i'm trying to talk about consciousness and ascension and you know transmutation well, we didn't talk about
2: ascension things... did we ascension well that's
1: that's that's another show i guess <laughs>
2: <laughs> you're you're near the end you want me to say <laughs> what i believe ascension the effect of the super wave that might trigger ascension just in well, a few you got words four
1: minutes go for it sure
2: Okay, well, you know what happened during 9 one with everyone focused on the trade center collapse worldwide. They had their eyes glued to the TV. They say for yeah. three days the probability in, around the Earth was changed. They had this way of measuring count, counting of uh, random number generators. They call them eggs, uh-huh. which would take the eggs to Princeton and analyze the data. And they said for three days during and after that event, the probability was shifted. There, there was ran, non-randomness in the numbers, as uh-huh. if our consciousness were affecting those. We were creating a, a, a conscious, and everyone felt like spaced out during that period. Oh, yeah. talk talked to people. Uh, imagine now what would happen. Everyone worldwide is glued to... Sagittarius A star, the the core of the galaxy, the bluish star, which in Hopi legend they call the Sakwashaha, which appears Uh brighter than Venus in the sky. And where the Earth is shaking, uh, waves of energy are coming, hitting these iliopause and so on. We're going to go into shock globally and start praying and uh not everyone but people a lot of people praying what this does is it synchronizes the consciousness of everyone we're all telepathic yeah. we're all we're all connected but this one event will synchronize everything global synchronization so to speak and uh we become one for the first time in our lives or history of the human race perhaps or
1: we become one as a weapon to protect ourselves that's that's
2: well that's they they cool. talk about we would have superhuman capabilities at that point uh, we could perhaps psych- psychically deflect the cosmic rays to go around the solar system if we wanted to uh, mm-hmm. is a unity human unity um And with people praying, we're going to have incredible love vibration coming telepathically to everyone. Everyone who isn't spaced out and running through the streets and not connected to all this, who's (laughs) meditating and praying, is going to be part of this consciousness shift. And it's going to be a beautiful experience. And I believe that's what's meant in the Bible when they call the coming of the Son of Man. It's not the Son of God they talk about. It's the Son of Man. It's what we create that higher being of consciousness, of love. And once we create that, if we can maintain that state, that peak experience, it's a Maslovian peak experience of the whole human race, then maybe it will usher the new age.
1: Yeah. You know, wow. Everyone will <clears throat> want
2: to recapture that feeling.
1: Well, that's beautifully put, and you've got me right out of time. Um okay. <laughs> thank you so much this has been a great show. I so thoroughly have enjoyed talking to you and um I'm going to have to read your pulsar book and we'll have to talk again real soon.
2: Okay. <laughs> thank you very <laughs> much. Thank Barbara. you again. Okay. Take care now. Thank you very much. Bye.
1: Bye-bye. Okay, everybody, thank you for listening. So glad you were with me and this will be up on YouTube tomorrow. Um Check back in tomorrow. Mark has a good show too. This is a good one. Pay attention to it. Listen to it, and do check out the book. It, the book is the book is phenomenal, and um, I will talk to you soon. Oh, Thursday, I'll be back Thursday with Graham. Uh, with Graham, Graham, I think yes. I'll, I'll be back Thursday. Check it out. Good night now.